I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on autism, Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. Some people even call me the Brain Broad. (laughs) Actually, that's my new thing. I'm trying to brand myself as the Brain Broad because we're making a show and blah, 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 and it sounds really cool, and nobody else is calling themselves that. So there you go. So I'm the Brain Broad who goes abroad, Lynette Louise, your story teacher host. So today, oh my gosh, today... We are going to blow the lid off of stuff. Okay, remember, stay to the very end because that's when we have stories from the road. And I'm going to make this crazy, wacky, awesome show all come together and hopefully benefit you and all the world of autism. And before that, we have Okay, 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 the great guest giveaway. And it's just all tying together, so hang in there. All right, all right, I'm avoiding it, I'm avoiding it. Today's show is about sex. Um, Years ago, I wrote a book called Jeff, J-E-F-F, and the subtitle was A Sexually Realized Spiritual Odyssey of Stepping into Love. And that's exactly what it's about. If you get this book, make sure that you're ready for a ride. At that time, I hadn't done neural feedback yet. You know, I hadn't quite got to the mentally healthy part, so I was still thinking in rhyme, and therefore the book is quite poetic. Poetic or not, it's also very, um, what's the word, uh, not exotic, it starts with an E, oh yes, erotic, exotically erotic. Okay, so uh, be prepared for it. Today's show is all about that. And without further ado, I would like to introduce you, there I go rhyming again, to our wonderful guest. This is Madam Becky. Hi, thank you so much for being here. That's, that's wonderful, and thank you so much for having me, it's very kind. Oh, it's more than, it's it's all my excitement here because this is a subject, what you're dealing with, um, first of all, before I get into it with everyone, I want to give you my congratulations and my kudos and uh, pats on the back because it takes um, a strong personality to decide what their goal is, decide what their purpose in life is and go ahead and stand in front of all the media and say, I think this should be done. So um, my hat's off to you for that. And let's explain what I'm talking about to the people. Madam Becky, what is the thing that you're trying to get to make happen right now? Okay, well, at the moment, I'm setting up the world's first not-for-profit brothel for people with disabilities and terminal illnesses. Um, So that's very exciting. It's actually the media that call it a brothel. Um, but actually it will be legal and uh, it's actually really more of a, a sexual well-being centre for people with disabilities to help them uh, kind of understand their sort of sexual feelings and explore those and help educate them into ways of being more sexually fulfilled. This is, like, wonderful and so needed. Um, So here in California, I don't know if you know this, but here in California, we have a similar idea, a similar service. It's legal to um, have a doctor prescribe a sexual partner for you if you have what's termed adult virginity or some reason for... Um, not being able to, you know, educate yourself uh, on a one-on-one on your own. Um, okay. So there is a system here, and in Canada, where I'm originally from, escort work is legal, and so people are able to um, avail themselves as to having somebody come to their home and help them. Um, they can't okay. go to a center. It's illegal to go somewhere to get that help. But it is very legal for anybody, disabled or not disabled, to have somebody come to you. 
Um, so, so that you know who you're talking to, when I was raising eight kids, at one point I had, you know, a lot of bills to pay and no way to do that, and I uh, ended up choosing that as my career goal for for oh, a short okay. bit. Yes, for a short bit. And what I ended up doing, six months actually, what I ended up doing was um, was actually for the disabled. I ended up t- sort of tunneling my people. Um, the people that would come to me and that would show an interest in me were usually disabled. Once you help one person, it's amazing how many people need this service. That, that's right. Uh, you know, I mean, people say that, uh, or the media often say, oh, the worst thing about sex work is sort of, you know, sleeping with strangers and sort of fat old men. And, you know, I always say, well, the worst thing about sex work is actually the preconception of the media and other people and the, the social stigma that unfortunately attaches itself to it, which makes it very difficult to openly do that sort of work and have a family um, and, uh, you know, not to be sort of found wanting by society. And that can make it very difficult to, to be a sex worker for sort of extended periods of time. Um, and that that can be a real problem and a real shame, unfortunately. So, you know, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Um, I was on UK television yesterday with a really wonderful young man um, who was very severely disabled and had lost his virginity to a sex worker and made a really excellent film um, that, that I think will be available in the States soon about a road trip made by him and two of his disabled friends um, where they went to Spain to a legal brother to all lose their virginity. And, you know, he was saying that that first sexual experience with a sex worker completely radically changed his life and made him feel like he was a normal boy because he'd always, uh, you know, sort of played and and hung out with normal able-bodied boys and they'd all talked about sex, you know, as boys do, from sort of the age of 12 or whenever. And all his friends and his peers had had sexual experiences, you know, by their early 20s apart from him. And the only way he could have his first experience was with a sex worker because he felt he didn't have the confidence to do it any other way. And it changed his life so radically that he then felt confident to go and try and form sort of, you know, loving relationships other ways. And um, and to, just to talk to somebody like that who's so grateful that there was a service provided for him that he, he could just sort of go and get that help that he needed to then encourage him onwards in his life. It, it's very humbling, actually. Very. And, and the fact is all men and women walk different once they're sexually active. They walk stronger, taller, more more composed in their bodies. They Even if they can't walk, they're more fully themselves once they're sexually active, whether we want to admit that or not. I mean, it's, I've seen it in all my children as they've grown. I've seen it every time, as long as it's consensual sex. Um, so cool. I have to do an, a, a mid-break comment and while I'm doing that I want you to just think about what I want to talk about next which is you're going you're making it a system of checks and balances to make sure that the people that will be working with these folks are the right people are you at all concerned this will be your question when I come back from break are you at all concerned with um, the system itself getting out of hand you know becoming too government like and then not doing its job um, think about that for a second. We are, this is a new spin on autism, Answers, and we are talking about stuff that most people don't want to talk about. My name is Lynette Louise. I'm your story teacher host. And today we have with us Madam Becky, who is a wonderful, courageous woman trying to reach our disabled people with um, a little bit of maturity and sensual touch. Um, Well, she's not. She's just making sure it's happening. Uh, Don't forget to stay to the very end of this show where we'll have stories from the road. 
because that's where I'm going to wrap it up and tell you all the rest of my little confessions. And before that, we're going to have a wonderful woman from Australia. Madam Becky's from England and our OK, 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 great guest giveaway. Um, sex author is from Australia, so it's a very international show. We are back with Madam Becky. Thank you for hanging in there. So according to... Um, my experience, when you try to make things into a system and put in all the right checks and balances and make it proper, um, sometimes you lose the beauty of uh, the simplicity of uh, uh, the sex industry. So that's my problem with the way it's done in California. And I'll talk to yes. people about that later. So what's your, what's your thoughts on that and how are you trying to cope with that? Okay, well, I think firstly, uh, we are privately funded. We're a not-for-profit organization, but we don't ask for any government fund or any official charity funding, simply because we don't want any interference. We don't want to be told what we can and can't do by people who have no idea what they're talking about. Now, I also think that my past of 20 years running brothels is going to be really beneficial because I am a sort of sex expert in the fun and frivolity side of things, in the fantasy and enjoyment, as opposed to a doctor or somebody with sort of clinical knowledge. So whilst, yes, I am surrounding myself with a team of professionals, I'm always happy for the media to label paradoxes as a brothel because to me, in my frame of reference, and somebody who spent most of their adult lives in, in a brothel, um, a brothel is a really fun environment of sexual freedom and sexual expression. And I'm sort of really staying focused on, I suppose, my, my sort of naughty roots, uh, where we're very, very much focusing on sexual enjoyment and fun, you know, somewhere that people can come and, and really enjoy themselves in a quite a sensual, almost quite a silly place in, in some ways because my businesses were always very good fun and a little bit silly, uh, rather than that sort of very straight clinical kind of thing that you would expect from a, a sort of a therapy center or somewhere like that. Well, that's wonderful. But what about the process itself? Like, for example, here in California, what stopped me from using it for my son, who needed it very much, was that he would have to first go and meet with a, a therapist, and I, first I would do an intake, and then he would do We'd be spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars, close to a 1000 or a little over, before he even was considered for... Um, actually having a sexual uh, experience with a, you know, a kind worker. Um, so what about your process in getting the, system, the service? Right. Okay. Well, to keep it legal, because we in the UK have a very similar legal system um, for sex surrogates and prostitutions as Canada. So to keep it legal, it does have to sort of work um, as a clinic. So so somebody would have to have an initial interview, but we don't sort of turn people away and say that they're not suitable. Um, you know, after that sort of initial interview, then it's very sort of straightforward, really, to find something that, that they need. But also, you know, we have lots of people who are coming along for very different things, so maybe cross-dressing or, you know, sort of transvestite sort of things or just sort of sensual things. You know, some people just want to come along and be covered with jelly and ice cream. And there's not necessarily a sexual connotation to that because they're not particularly capable of a, of a sex act. But they want somewhere to come that they can be completely liberated to try different things. I think I think it's interesting that we call it a sex act if it includes penises and vaginas, when in fact, like for example, I work a lot with autism and this podcast is primarily for the autistic, and the sensory system is very, very affected in autism, and 
so often, and I can give you example after example after example, um, something like being covered in jelly would be the sexual experience much more than yeah. having the penis touched. So we're, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we're a bunch exactly. of And, um, you know, with, with um, young adults with autism, we hold sort of confidence classes, and we also have really sort of good fun sessions where we have, uh, say, say, you know, with, with your son, a young sort of gentleman, and we have young ladies in their sort of 20s, and we do chatting up classes, and we we sort of help young men understand what's the right and wrong way to approach a young lady, and how to move into the first kiss, and, you know, how to hold hands. And so it, it's not really, those sort of classes aren't necessarily focusing just on sex, they're focusing on sexual interaction in the sort of dating game. Wow, can um, I, I get the camp? Can I send my son? <laughs> You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. And, but there's a lot of, lot of laughing that goes on and a lot of good fun. And uh, we get just as much out of it, I think, as, as everybody else. You know, it's so funny because, um, you know, everybody that gets any medical training or looks into this at all knows that orgasming is extremely stabilizing. It, it releases a wealth of wonderful hormones that we were supposed to be releasing. It keeps you youthful. It's a stress releaser. And, and you know, we're so often trying to tell these people that are disabled and don't, uh, don't appear like they can handle a sensual relationship that they aren't allowed to do that sort of thing, and it's ridiculous. It's the best meltdown stabilizer I ever came across. With one of my kids, I used to say, whenever he was having a hard time, I'd say, well, go take a shower and masturbate. You'll feel better. And it would work. Exactly. You know, it, it was it wonderful. It's so true. I mean, I, I, because of very serious ill health, I've been sexually celibate for nearly four years. Um, and it had a, a really profound effect on me and my kind of, my drive, I suppose, and my inner being. And uh, I had sort of major surgery, and I'm now kind of sexually active a little bit, you know, still kind of learning my way again because I've, I, you know, I had a full hysterectomy and I've had sort of most of my insides removed and all my sort of female lady bits and pieces, and I had to be rebuilt. And um, but just even getting back to being a little bit sexually active has made a massive difference to me, and. Um, it's kind of really got me going, as you say, you know, it makes you walk different, it makes you stronger, it makes you walk. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. I'm, I'm sexually celibate at the moment myself and have been for a while. And um, uh, my ex died and, and it's just sort of gone that way. And I got to tell you, probably the healthiest, happiest, strongest, most creative I ever was was when I was doing that job. And I was and so I, I'm very aware that uh, regular sex, just on a personal bit level, is important. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just so so interesting to have this argument um, in the UK now. Because as you, as you say, you know, there are lots of people who disagree. And um, it's making a huge difference to people with disabilities that it's actually... It's being discussed, you know, and in the UK, it's all over the papers. It has been now for probably about a month or so, not just um, paradoxes, you know, my enterprise, but um, sex workers who are working for me are coming out of the closet and sort of saying, you know, this is what we do. And we've just had um, a big um, newspaper expose of a care home that was allowing sex workers in to um, sort of pleasure. They were all ex-servicemen in this particular care home, all guys back from the sort of various wars that, that had various disabilities. And um, the media went wild. And, of course, no laws have been broken. There's no harm being done. But the newspapers have really enjoyed the sensationalist aspect of it. But it does mean that it's a very hot topic, Everybody's talking about it. And actually, after the initial shock, public opinion 
is really swinging around and um, the general public in the UK are becoming very, very supportive, which is absolutely fantastic. Well, that's wonderful because, you know, this kind of work's been happening, um, just like you were explaining in that care home, it's been happening always. It's just that people are forced to not talk about truth. And when you're not, when you're forced to not talk about truth, then you misinform the entire public and their opinions and belief systems are all based on lies. So we have to stop that. It's just really important. I had a, a I was taking a class in sign language and the instructor was having lunch with us one time, and he said the job that he um, felt the most distaste for was the job that he'd had when he worked in a group home, and it was his job to teach the workers, or the, um, the clients, sorry, um, how to masturbate. And I was like, why would that be something you have distaste for? You were doing a great service. Yeah. And, he, and he said, you know, that for him it was because he was afraid the word would get out and it would hurt his reputation. And yeah. that's yeah. unfortunate. It yeah. is, but it's it's so true. You know, it's so true. And um, the meetings that we had with this particular care home when we were arranging for these ladies to go in, it's all very, very carefully planned. It took about a year to, to get planned. But their main problem was the fear of it, the word getting out and the resulting scandal and the backlash from the, the family of their residents and the locals and the you know, the politicians, which is exactly what happened. But actually, the general public have kind of got behind the care home, really, and said, you know, whose business is it? These people deserve a sexual life and leave them alone, which is wonderful. It's been <laughs> it's, brilliant. It's very wonderful, and even better, people, you know, will talk about it and maybe come to realize that, um, you know, there's a beautiful film. I don't know if you've seen it. It's called Gabby, and it's a true story. And it's and in it they have this scene where these two uh, cerebral palsy people are um, engaging in relations, and it is the most beautiful, most touching scene. And I just love for everyone to watch it. It's it really sort of tells the story you're trying to tell. And I hope we get to see your film as well. I'm going to have to close up with you, Madam Becky. Can, if there's anything you particularly want to say, any websites you want people to go to or the name of your film or anything you want to share right now, please do. Okay. Well, probably the thing I'd like to share really is that the thing that started this whole journey for me was my book, Madam, which is my autobiography. Well, it's my, yeah, I mean, I wrote it all myself. Um, it um, was really my life story and it was nominated for a literary award by the Outsiders Trust which are uh, which is a charity that helps people with disabilities find relationships and sexual partners and it was because my book Madden was nominated for this award which it then won uh, it won publication of the year at the erotic awards that I met with the Outsiders and I started really sort of meeting all these amazing people with disabilities and, uh, you know, decided to, to set up paradoxes. So uh, if anybody's interested in my kind of story and my life as a madam in the UK, then uh, you, can, you can find my, my book on Amazon or any of the sort of American websites on, um, I think, of sort of Barnes & Noble or e-book or whatever you fancy, paperback. And, um, yep, go, go and have a read. It's very, very funny, and it's won two very big literary awards now in the UK. And it will give everybody a really good insight into who I am and what I'm up to. Wow, that's awesome. And I'll also put a link to your book on, the, um, on my website. So that's awesome. Um, and one last moment to give a word of advice uh, to people who are up in arms and saying, Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I think really just to say you better believe it because it's happening and it's happening here awesome. and, it's, and we're enjoying it good good and I will be in touch about my son okay well All God right. bless to you and, and speak to you again I'm sure alright and thank you so much for making yourself available for us today well that was Madam Becky she has a great passion for making a difference in the world of sex and um, 
sex, sensuality, uh, being a mature adult, and disabilities. It's a particularly difficult subject because as far as legal legal ease go, a person with a mental challenge can assent, but they cannot consent to treatment and therapies and probably also to sex. It's a pretty gray area. So um, it's a little bit difficult for folks to move forward and help, and what they end up doing is doing it in a sort of cloak and dagger, let's not tell the truth sort of way, and that's unfortunate. Let's look at autism, for example, autistic people, can be considered brain disordered, mentally um, unable to consent. And that's kind of unfair. So <laughs> following in the theme of the day, on the question of is sex necessary for a healthy life and should it be available to everybody, I thought it would be appropriate to speak with Wendy Lawson. She's an Aussie. She's an autistic mom. She's a grandmom. She's also many, many other things. In fact, she makes me look a bit like a slouch because she's an author of many books, a psychologist, an adult educator. Uh, by the way, her homepage is www.wendy, W-E-N-D-Y, Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N.com if you want to check her out. And you probably will want to after we have a chat with her. So, oh. Okay, 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 it's time for the great guest giveaway, Wendy Lawson from Australia. Hey, Wendy, hi, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, you're more than welcome, I'm really excited. Um, You've written many books, but I would really like to focus today on your book, uh, you know, that relates to sex and sexuality um, for the autistic person. So let's jump in there if you're okay with that. Yeah, sure, yeah. Oh, you don't sound very excited. Now, sex is kind of exciting, <laughs> don't you think? No, no, no. I, um, I guess I'm better at uh, uh, having a question so that I know what to answer. But the, the book itself is meant to be a good read for anybody who's interested, but um, it's not too technical, so families can read it, and there are parts of it that can be read together. And... Um, it's a book that deals with how to explore and explain sexuality, even to young people on the autistic spectrum who find reading and writing hard, who don't talk, um, so that parents can, can share that um, with their kids. It also is a book that talks about uh, sexuality from the perspective of gender issues, homosexuality, heterosexuality, etc. So it, it goes into... Uh, a lot of things, but not in huge detail. It's only one book, but it certainly sets the stage for um, for exploring lots of different things. Yeah, and good conversation. It sounds like. But tell me, Wendy, what made you feel inspired to want to write on that particular subject? I wanted to write about this because so many people, families in particular, have asked me about um, sexuality. That there was even a lady doing a talk at a conference who said that if you're autistic, you won't be interested in sex. And uh, I kind of, that made me think, wow, how wrong is that? Um, Lots of young people, especially in situations where they don't know how to express themselves appropriately, or perhaps in shared accommodation or other kinds of care, um, are masturbating in public, are rubbing up against, whatever, are putting in sharp objects into places they don't belong, uh, desperate, really, not knowing how to manage their own sexuality. So I thought, hey, lady, you know, you're very, very wrong in, in what you're saying. I'm sure there would be some people who are not sexually motivated, but I don't believe that's the majority. Well, no, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Certainly not my experience yeah. with all the children that I've raised and, yeah. and work with, you're, you're absolutely right. In fact, I had uh, a problem with one of my sons who he would be sexually aroused whenever he saw the statue for Ronald McDonald, and it was that Ronald McDonald's big oversized shoes would get him excited. So every time we went by <laughs> a McDonald's, 
he would get an yeah. erection and he'd run and he'd try to hump on the, you know, on the feet of the Ronald McDonald and all the moms would go screaming and taking their kids up. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm trying to pull him, you know, and then the foam would be around the, uh, around the pillars. And so then he'd, uh, you know, in oh, desperate dear. plea for some relief, he'd go there. And I'm like, oh, yeah. somebody has to talk about this. Yeah, exactly. It has to be talked about. This is, uh, I don't know about Ronald McDonald's boots, but sexuality is definitely a normal part of everybody's life. And if well, you don't, don't you think... know how to, to channel who you are and, and how you feel, that's when it becomes an issue. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I think what happens yeah. is um, you have a, a sexual feeling and you can't, he was nonverbal. He wasn't able to express himself. For all I know, the moment that he first put together a sexual feeling in an item or a person, it was, who knows, I could have had him at some children's mm. thing and a big clown could have gone by and that was the end of that. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Right. So there needs to be a way to express it. So what kind of a reception have you gotten for this book? Um, um, mixed, I think especially because I do talk about things like homosexuality and, and, and cross-gender issues, gender dysphoria, and so on. Um, but it has to be talked about. So I'm not the kind of person who could bury their head in the sand. I'm, 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 I'd rather people react uh, negatively, and it's still out there for those who are really interested, than, than me go all quiet and not say because of the possibility of somebody reacting inappropriately or, you know, with horror, uh, that's no good at all. So uh, I just felt that no, it needs to be said. Yeah, no, I don't completely agree. By the way, everybody, her book is called Sex, Sexuality, and the Autism Spectrum. And what made you feel that um, inside the autism spectrum there wasn't simply the need for uh, explanation on sex itself, but also in gender issues and gay and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Why, why did you believe that? Yeah, no, the research shows that these are more common issues amongst those of us with autism. I think when we fall in love, it's not necessarily, uh, we're not noting the gender of the individual. We, we look way past that. So, um, these are issues that do happen more often, actually. And ten, people think of gender confusion and they say, oh, he or she will grow out of it, and they're missing the point. In, in autism, our honesty, our desire for truth and reality tends to, takes us past um, seeing the person as male or female. You know, it's the person that we attach to, and it might not be the same or the opposite gender. Um, yeah, than that people expect. I think we're, you know, we're already used to being out of the box, already used to having yeah. broken down all the rules of society and social <laughs> etiquette. Yeah. And yeah. so now you're evaluating everything for its worth to you as a human being as opposed to its worth in accordance with the, you know, the social norms. Yeah, that, that's right. That, absolutely so. And the one thing the book doesn't do Oh, there's several things it won't do, but um, there will be some people who words are not their thing, and there are, you know, they need more visual, and there's not a lot of pictures in this book. So, for somebody who really needs to watch a video, DVD, or to have more more pictorial representation, um, I wasn't able to do that with this book. So, that uh, that's an area that is still lacking. Uh, well, you know, there is. I have a boy that I work with that was having a real problem uh, with masturbation, uh, and it was causing all kinds of issues in the home. And the mom found a wonderful solo sex video um, on Amazon, and it just is mm -hmm. very instructional and shows how to use um, lotion and take good care of yourself and everything. It's really yeah, actually well, that's quite lovely. Right. That's really yeah, good. It, it, really, it really is. Um, uh, inappropriate or, or well, just doesn't work for those of us with autism when you go to a class and they're teaching you how to put a condom on a banana, you know, when actually a condom goes on a penis. But they're, they're trying to use something to illustrate and then you find that young people on the spectrum are putting the condom on the banana. 
Because right, they're, they're having sex without a condom, but fun. they've got the banana over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, just because of being literal and not, um, not seeing beyond that. Right, right. Um, so if you had a message for the world, because you've written, like, I'm going to read a couple of these off your website, Friendships, the Aspie Way, Ask Poetry, um, Life Behind Glass, Build Your Own Life. I mean, these look beautiful. A couple of children's books, Understanding and Working with the Spectrum of Autism. Um, wow, very prolific. Uh, with all of this that you've had to say, I'm going to ask you to boil it down to one special thing that you think would be helpful for our moms and dads and professionals out there um, who are interested in knowing more about how to help their children with sex. Okay. Well, I think probably the one piece of advice is um, not to freak out, to stay calm, and to check in with whoever your young person is or older person so that we don't jump the gun. You know, not everybody's ready for full explanations about uh, sexuality. Some need more support uh, working out friendships, working out um, how to recognize somebody who's different to self. Uh, there's so many other things before we get to that aspect to our lives. So slowly as you go and uh, check in, make sure we're actually answering the questions that someone's really wanting to ask. Awesome. So two more things. One... Um, it, this is a story, I call myself a story teacher, um, host, and I, we like to have a little story about everything. So do you have um, an occasion where somebody, you know, emailed you or told you that um, this book helped them in some way, or a story of your own that's related to the subject? I think I've got several. I have one young woman who's 17 who was very, very depressed, very miserable, felt like um, the world just didn't get her at all and she certainly wasn't connecting to the world when she got the book and started to read um, parts of it she got some support with some help with reading it as well she just said that she found herself um, and to me that was just um, you know if I'd written it just for her that was worth it because there's nothing worse than feeling lost and alone so for her to say to me, I actually found myself in your book and it helped me with taking further steps for discovering what I needed to do about things. So, so that was really cool. So was, you're autistic, so was writing always your thing? Because you've written quite a few books here. Is that something that you yeah, always did? I'm, I didn't really learn to read and write very young. I was 13-ish before I recognized language and writing were like of the same ilk um, but then I couldn't put a book down really I always had one in my hand and uh, I was writing on everything walls paper bags napkins <laughs> so, um, and I, I, I write a lot of poetry that's very helpful for me so um, yeah writing is my thing but I am actually dyslexic and I can only type with one finger so I can't get <laughs> yeah no, it takes me a while but I get there Oh, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. Yeah, so this is it. a great guest giveaway. We have to give something away, and I'm hoping it'll, you'll offer up that particular book because we do yes, have a theme. So. <laughs> yes, yeah. you will? Absolutely. I just oh. have to organize how to get a copy. Oh, don't um, worry about it. We'll wait till somebody claims it, and if oh, they claim right. it, then okay. I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. Okay? All right, thanks. All right, um, so the way that we want you guys to claim this is you... Send me an email at mom number four evermore mom forevermore at juno j u n o dot com, and in the subject line, I want you to put sex, sexuality, and the autism spectrum because that's the name of Wendy Lawson's book. Thank you so much for being willing to be with us. She's calling me in California all the way from Australia, so I much, much, much appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for staying up. You're welcome. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm glad we could work it out. Yeah, good eye. And that was Wendy. So today we've talked to uh, Madam Becky, uh, an author, and Wendy, uh, an author times many. And both of them are very aware of the needs of our people to have a way of expressing themselves and learning um, to develop their sensual side. 
I think it is time for Stories from the Road. We're going to tell two stories. I'm going to actually complete the stories that I've started to tell you throughout the show. Um, When I was talking with Wendy, I was talking about how when my one son, the lower functioning one, was young, he got this sensory reaction to Ronald McDonald shoes. So whenever we saw a Ronald McDonald statue, he would uh, run over and try to hump his body onto it. And and when you would stop him, he would hump on the pillars that were around the McDonald playland, you know, because they had padding. And, you know, I'd be pulling him away and the mothers would be taking their kids out. And I'd be like, I'm sorry, he's autistic. I'm sorry, he's autistic. And it would be really messy and awful. And all of the grandkids and other kids, and, and they'd all be going, I want to play at McDonald's. Why does Dora have to wreck everything? So it was difficult, to say the least. And this went on and he got older and it went on and he got older. And he never let go of this fixation. And so I just kept thinking, I have to help him. I mean, nobody could find their shoes. It was just terrible. I wanted very much for him to have a sexual life, a, a normal sexual experience, at least, not so much a life, but an experience, so that he would not be stuck in this concept that that's what sex was. It had to do with shoes or boots or especially Ronald McDonald. Um, and so when he was 18, a little older, I thought, okay, he's now, you know, old enough for me to maybe act on this, but I still feel uncomfortable doing it in my own country and, and, and finding somebody and, and maybe I'll end up in the news and it'll be horrible. Of course, now I'm telling you, so I'll probably end up in the news and it'll be horrible. But uh, so anyway, I, what I did was I went, okay, I'm taking him on a trip. I did that with all of my children. Each of my kids got to pick wherever they wanted to go in the world, and I'd try to come close to that choice, depending upon the prices, and um, take them there for two weeks, one-on-one. And it was Dar's turn, and most I could figure out that he wanted was a country where people had a similar look to his mom, because he feels safest with his mom. So um, I picked an Asian country, because I have kind of that look, and we ended up going to Korea which, by the way, they're very xenophobic, maybe not my best choice. But anyway, so we were in Korea, in Seoul, and uh, and we ended up staying in a house of prostitution. It was only a house of prostitution on the weekends. During the week, it was just where you rented rooms. So you sort of, you know, were supposed to ignore the ladies standing in the hallways on uh, Saturday and Sunday and Friday night. And so... (laughs) I thought this was marvelous, good stroke of luck, because I hadn't really planned this out well, and it just turned out that that cheap place operated that way. And so on the weekend, I, with sign language and gestures, explained to this, well, I started with the pretty um, worker of the evening, but unfortunately she was totally not accepting of the idea. So I ended up with an elderly woman, quite overweight and quite unattractive, who was willing to give my son a little help. And, uh, you know, my son was nonverbal, but able to communicate through typing and that sort of thing. So, And actually, while we were in Korea, had a remarkable reaction to Korea and was talking. It was, um, you know, subject of another story of the road. But anyway, so we were having this wonderful time, but he needed this particular thing. So I'm telling this lady, you know, in my, you know, gestures and pointing and this is our room and that's my guy that I want you to help and all that stuff. And she's like, so she was willing to do it as long as I wasn't leaving them alone. And so that was a bit sticky. So I sat in the bathroom, which was, you know, still the room, but not really the room. And uh, my son uh, had his first, uh, he lost his virginity and, and had his first experience with this woman. And we can do whatever we want with this. We can decide it's disgusting and wrong of me. We can decide I was wonderful and open-minded. Really, that's not the point. What I'd like to tell you is that he stopped immediately, immediately behaving that way with Ronald McDonald. It was immediate and absolute and has lasted till now. It was years ago. So... My instinct as a mom was that he just needed to experience life as a true man so that he wouldn't be confused by his 
uh, spontaneous erections happening whenever he touched nice, soft, squishy things or like the foam around the pillars at McDonald's or something about the roundness of the shoes. Maybe they reminded him of breasts. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that he needed to know what it's supposed to be like and that that changed his life and the way people received him. I can't even begin to understand the degree to which it's probably changed how he feels about himself because he now doesn't scare the kids. And he doesn't hear from his siblings, why is Dar wreck everything? So it's a big deal. It was a really big deal. Um, the other story from the road, not Korea, but here, uh, is one that I talked to you about uh, recently, about my son, Rai, being raped. So what I want to go through is a couple of the steps of what happened for him. He has a sensory issue. He was autistic. He's kind of off the spectrum. Now he went from you know, fetal alcohol syndrome. Remember, he's adopted. I didn't do that. <laughs> fetal alcohol syndrome, retardation, autism, Tourette's. And then we slowly rolled that back. And he still has a few small, small ticks here and there. Um, none of the outbursts. And uh, still has a sensory thing. But he wouldn't be really diagnosed as autistic anymore, can't hit all the parameters. But he does have this sensory, uh, the sensual sensory thing for a particular fabric. And so that's been fine. He's, you know, been able to have a flag under his bed for his personal time, and it's been fine. But recently, um, he started to feel like his skin was hungry, he said. He said, my skin is so hungry. I just feel very lonely, and my skin is so hungry. And it's making me feel twisted inside, and, and I'm scared of who I might become. And so I said, well, that's not good. You come home to me, I will do some neurofeedback, and we'll see what we can do. So I brought him home, and we did lots of neurofeedback, and we talked a lot. And, and I told him that, you know, I wanted him to have a sexual experience like his brother had had. But we weren't out of the country. And so I was nervous. Now I'm a known personality, and I didn't want to be somewhere and be seen and have some paparazzi take a picture and <laughs> say, oh, yeah, this is how she helps autism. But here I am telling you anyway because I can't keep my mouth shut. So the point is that um, I did, you know, I, I investigated it best I could. I took him actually to a strip bar. Um, it was just not a full nude strip bar, but at least it was a beginning. Um, I looked around for different methods. I talked to some doctors, and the process for having him do this legally was such that I was afraid they would end up diagnosing him in a way that would take him down a path that wouldn't benefit his life. And I'm very careful with diagnoses because they can really jam you into a place you don't want to be. You can end up, you know, being called anything and, and forced to take medications and tricked and it's just it's something I'm very careful with so I didn't want him to go that course and so I took him to a strip bar and I kept phoning around and there of course are escorts but I'm afraid of the legality of it and um, it's not legal to do it that way here where we're living um, it was in Canada but it's not here and so I was kind of stuck in that position. And what I ended up doing is taking him for a private show, and he felt like he'd, you know, finding a place that has, like, orgies that's all very legal. And I went, well, that's a bit much. Maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> anyway, so we at least in, entered him into this world, but he never got that sense of, of beauty, and that sense of I've laid with somebody and caressed her, and she's caressed me, and it's been kind, and it's been beautiful. And that's not how people paint um, the work that, you know, brothels and, and that sort of thing do. But in fact, that is the work they do. And that is what I was looking for for my son, something soft and sweet and beautiful and encouraging so that he could walk in his own skin like a man. Well, I didn't accomplish it. My fear of retribution, of getting in trouble, stopped us. And um, he went home. And shortly after he got home, that's when, for those of you who have heard this before, I apologize for telling it twice. That's when the man um, made his way into his, into his apartment and raped him at gunpoint. So here we are. There's two things to say about the Well, there's a million, but there's two really important things to point out before I end the show. One is 
that my son now has been twisted by an experience that I had to treat and help him with. And he still has no soft place to land, no memory of beautiful, sensual sex. And maybe I'll take him to see Madame Becky's girls because without that, for him, sex could be something that we don't want it to be for him. And I say we because when men and women get twisted and and treated in an unhealthy way, they become unhealthy and they do that sort of unhealthiness gets spread around the world and around the people they live in. So it's important, and I'll take care of it. I'll figure it out. But I want you to think about that, the way that went for him. He reached for help. He got some help, but because of my fear of the law, he didn't get enough help. Then he was raped, and he has no memory of anything sexual other than rape and fear. And that's pretty ugly. And now it's my job as a mom to find a way, to help him find a way to change that. I'd end the show right now, but there's one more thing I want to tell you about. There's a lady who wrote a blog, No, You Don't. And I'll put a link to it on the website. Um, She makes some wonderful points about how nowadays the way we're trained, or the way we train autistic children, is that they must comply, they must behave. And she talks about how she was repeatedly raped because she was told, no, if an adult wants to hug you, even if you don't want to hug, you hug. If an adult wants, you see how that worked? When I asked my son, when there was a strange man standing on your porch late at night that you didn't know, why did you open the door? And guess what his answer was? He said, I had to be polite and I didn't even fill him full of ABA however he did have that in the early years so be careful with that I love all of you I hope you've handled this show it's to me a very very important show thank you for being here because without you I would just be talking to myself Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, A Real-Life Guide to Autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear you.